This is June 21st, summer solstice, yesterday, this is 2020. In my uh, podcast last week, <clears throat> my CoronaCast, as we're calling it, I uh, emphasized the reality of the terrible suffering we've been going through, the, the world, let's put it that way, the world has been going through. And uh, sort of at the end, I kind of promised that uh, we would uh, look today in the Teisho at kind of the other side. The bad news, just to review, anyone who might need a review, is uh, COVID-19, the mass unemployment is uh, coming from that uh, and will be coming much more in the future. Uh, the, The consequences of mass unemployment, drug and alcohol abuse, suicide, deaths of despair, poverty, and uh, all, all of that laid on top of climate change that is ever more uh, alarming. So that's the bad news. But there has to be another side to it. There has to be. And we're starting to see it. Um, when when uh, shortly after the stay-at-home orders, the lockdown in late March. I reminded myself and, and others that, um, that those of us who practice the Dharma need to trust that there is an intelligence behind all this. Uh, as with all calamities, there is, there is an intelligence. Um, we could call it our essential nature, true nature, Buddha nature, for some reason lately i've been in fa- i've been favoring the word intelligence with a capital i um, the, the trouble is it's it's the workings of this intelligence this um, essential nature is often beyond what we can see we're too close to it we're embedded in it these these terrible things that are happening. Our, our time frame is, is limited. Um, you could say that all the returns haven't come in yet. And the most remarkable things can still happen. Terrible things can still unfold from this. But it can't be the whole story. I found in a, in a recent, uh, the June issue of The Atlantic, uh, an article called How Microbes Write History by Charles Mann. And the subtitle is Plagues Leave Societies Permanently Altered, Often in Surprising Ways. And uh, 
first the author talks about uh, some of the um, medical uh, vulnerabilities that uh, followed um, from the the 1918 influenza um, he also uh, distinguishes that plague from the current one he says unlike it, it happened uh, just as uh, the United States was ramping up for its involvement in World War one uh, and and the the toll which uh, has been estimated at 17 million to 100 million. Um, he says, depending on assumptions about the number of uncounted victims, that the, the toll is hard to tease apart, the, the, the toll from the war and the toll from the pandemic. Uh, one of the remarkable things about that is, uh, he says that unlike the war, the flu was incomprehensible the influenza virus wasn't even identified until 1931. 1931. 19, 20, uh, 18, 19 years before it was identified. So this is a remarkable uh, change now, difference in the current uh, coronavirus. And then he mentions some of the um, bad uh, consequences. He said it inspired fear of immigrants and foreigners and anger toward the politicians who played down the virus. That sounds familiar. He goes on, like the war, influenza and tuberculosis, which subsequently hit many flu sufferers, killed more men than women, skewing sex ratios for years afterward. And then he asks rhetorically, can, we, can one be sure that the ensuing abrupt changes in gender roles had nothing to do with the virus? Some more little bits here I'd like to read from. He says that scholars have long posited that the shattering of norms by the Black Death, that's in the 1400s, was the first step on the path that led to the Renaissance and the Reformation. So who, who at that time during the Black Death, which wiped out the third of Europe, who could have imagined what would follow from it? eventually the Renaissance and the Reformation. He says, neither government nor church could explain the plague or provide a cure, leading to a crisis in belief. Secular and religious leaders died just like common people. People sought new sources of authority, finding them through direct personal experience with the world and with God. again about the uh, the Renaissance and the Reformation. He says, it's easy to see this as a comforting parable 
of rationality winning out over the engines of rumor, prejudice, and superstition, ultimately leading to the Renaissance and Enlightenment. But the lesson seems more that humans confronting unexpected disaster engage in a contest for explanation. And the outcome can have consequences that ripple for decades or centuries. He says, as I write, the contest for explanation is well underway. Donald Trump is to blame, or Barack Obama, or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or China, or the U.S. military's biowarfare experiments, or Bill Gates. There's a great uh, little quote here from uh, the Cherokee journalist Rebecca Nagel uh, after Trump announced his plan to uh, ban travel from Europe to prevent the spread of the disease. She says, I fully support banning travel from Europe to prevent the spread of infectious disease. I just think it's 528 years too late. The author also says that this pandemic will be a test of how much contemporary U.S. society values the elderly. So far, the evidence suggests not much. The speed with which pundits emerged to propose that the U.S. could more easily tolerate a raft of dead oldsters than an economic contraction indicates that the reservoir of appreciation for today's elders is not as deep as it once was. And then he acknowledges that this change may reflect another change, that today's elderly are typically older than the old of the past, when lifespans were shorter and more likely to be retired. And he compares uh, our own response to the virus, this uh, current virus, the pandemic, uh, to that of uh, the people of Hong Kong, uh, how they responded in 2003 to SARS, the SARS epidemic, killed only about 300 people, but was stopped by heroic communal efforts. communal efforts, collective efforts. This could be one of the changes we see, a shift in um, our national character that we may have to find out the hard way because it doesn't seem we have so much yet that uh, we have to, our individualism, our uh, wildly extreme individualism uh, may not help us in surviving this. He says that uh, a possible legacy of Hong Kong's success with SARS is that its citizens seem to put more faith in collective action than they used to. I guess he's referring to, uh, especially to the demonstrations that have been going on for 
I don't know, a year and a half or something against the government in Hong Kong. So it may take generations, really, before we can appreciate the evolutionary impact of this terrible pandemic. And there's, this is not at all to deny what's going on It occurred to me in uh, while sitting before this Tay show that that uh, we may be seeing here on a collective scale what many of us know, probably most of us know, from our individual experience, which is that growth is painful. That growth spurts in individuals come through shock, painful blows. Think back, how many of us find meaningful change except through pain? Sickness, injury, loss of every kind, loss of even a job, death of someone close to us, humiliation, whom humiliation can kick off a real new reassessing of ourselves. And this would have to be the same of a collective, a, collect, a collection of individuals, as in countries, nations. We are really going through it now as a country. The world too, but uh, that takes so many different forms. I'm just going to stay here to talking about our own country. In Hinduism, they have this trinity of gods, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Shiva is, is the god of disillusion, destruction. And uh, is understood as the other side of creation. It's very interesting that the uh, the literal meaning, the literal uh, yeah meaning uh, in in Sanskrit of Shiva, the god of destruction, is the kind one, the friendly one. That's the translation for Shiva. Let that sink in. We may be going through something that we or our 
descendants may someday see as ultimately uh, an experience of kindness for us so that we might continue to evolve. Because we certainly seem to be in something of a, of a rut as a people. We had, we had reached a, a level of comfort uh, and convenience uh, such as no people in history has ever seen. Uh, I, I certainly see this as, as uh, having settled into a kind of deep um, self-satisfaction, complacency, pride. This uh, pandemic and the unemployment and everything else that, that uh, is going to is unfolding from it we could see this as a uh, shattering of our national myths. Uh, the myth of American exceptionalism. Oh, yes. Better than all other countries. The greatest country in the world. If we can find it in our hearts to some, dig some, some gratitude out of this for what it's putting us through, we can persevere more easily through it. Oscar Wilde said, discontent is the first step in the progress of a man or nation. Here's where we can get a boost in progress, spiritual progress, pulling us out of our, our complacency, our sleep. And and reminding us of uh, those we've taken for granted in our life and what we've taken for granted in our life, our prosperity, our privilege. I've read... Um, several accounts of those who've spoken of finding a new intimacy at home. When we're, when we're stuck at home, we have to make it work. And that either leads to <laughs> divorce <laughs> or um, trouble in the family, but more often, from what I'm reading, it's uh, finding finding our way through that, beyond that, the, the quarrels, the uh, friction to uh, a deeper level of, of intimacy with children and 
partners. As Americans, we're notorious for our restlessness, for our drivenness, our, uh, our resistance to sitting still, but instead going out, moving, moving, moving to Tocqueville, uh, identified this in his tour of the United States and I think it was the 1830s, about the hypermobility and the restlessness of Americans. And uh, it seems like somehow uh, kind of a, an opportunity for us, a karmic balancing find out who we are when we have nowhere to go and and uh, to see um, who we are when we're not identified by our jobs in the same way. Okay, many people are still working at home, but then all those people who are unemployed, those are the ones who are facing uh, probably the greatest crisis of identity. Another article <clears throat> I read in <clears throat> the current <clears throat> Atlantic is uh, by George Packer. This is called Dispatches. <clears throat> and um, the subtitle is under, the title is, well, yeah, the title is Underlying Conditions and the subtitle is In America, the Coronavirus Has Revealed a Sick and Unequal Society Incapable of Self-Government. And just one paragraph I pulled out of here in terms of uh, people we've taken for granted and, and, and the way in which now um, this has been revealed to us. Uh, he says, we now have two categories of work, essential and non-essential. Who have the essential workers turned out to be? Mostly people in low-paying jobs that require their physical presence and put their health directly at risk. Warehouse workers, shelf stockers, Instacart shoppers, delivery drivers, municipal employees, hospital staffers, home health aides, long-haul truckers. Doctors and nurses are the pandemic's combat heroes, but the supermarket cashier with her bottle of sanitizer and the UPS driver with his latex gloves are the supply and logistics troops who keep the frontline forces intact. In a smartphone economy that hides whole classes of human beings, we're learning where our food and goods come from, who keeps us alive. An order of organic baby arugula on Amazon Fresh is cheap 
and arrives overnight, in part because the people who grow it, sort it, pack it, and deliver it have to keep working while sick. For most service workers, sick leave turns out to be an impossible luxury. It's worth asking if we would accept a higher price and slower delivery so that they can stay home. Well, this is a very nicely put way of of, uh, pointing out how one one form of um, growing awareness that comes from this, that is for, maybe not for everyone, but I think for a lot of us, we're the first time we've really um, considered how arbitrary the, these terms essential and non-essential are and how important, how important all these uh, workers are to keeping our country going, keeping us going. That's a valuable thing that's, that's come out of this horror, this global horror we're going through, which, to be fair, most of us haven't really experienced much. Granted. Speaking of gratitude, um, here we are, a sangha of, I don't know, 400, 450 people altogether, and I've only heard of one death in the sangha. There, there have to be more, I suppose, but I've only heard of one. And I, I myself haven't heard of many who've even just contracted the disease without dying. One of those, by the way, uh, was uh, Sante Roshi, uh, one of the co-leaders of the uh, our sister center, the Scandinavian Center in Sweden. Uh, I was catching up with him last week by Zoom, of course, and uh, he described having had a, for him, it was a two-week fever, uh, no, a two-week fever, only only two days of which were really a raging fever, 103 degrees, but uh, two weeks of fever and headache, a fortnight of headache. Well, I guess we could call him one of the lucky ones. We have to be careful. Uh, I think even in myself, I see a tendency, an impulse, uh, only half conscious to think that uh, we're, we're, we've got the better of this pandemic. But uh, the news in the past week especially uh, can shatter that misconception. It may be a year or two before we're out of the woods here and it could get a lot worse before it gets better. But while it gets worse, or stays the same, um, let's see what else that's coming out of this. Well, there's no direct 
causal connection, I suppose, between the pandemic um, and this upwelling of protests against police brutality and racism that we see now that's just burst upon us on a scale we've never seen before. We Many observers have said how uh, amazingly fast public opinion changed in, with respect to LGBT uh, rights. That uh, gay marriage, same-sex marriage, what was it, a couple, three, four, uh, I don't know now how many years ago it was, but fairly recently, uh, that is something that left people's uh, getting whiplash, how fast public opinion changed with respect to uh, LGBT rights. And then now this. And then most recently, this very week, the Supreme Court kind of ratifying uh, this acceptance of LGBT rights. Who would have thought Uh, the magazine Vox, I guess it's an online magazine, referred to this this uh, as the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening with regard to race and its relationship to our national identity. But again, we can't see a direct causal connection between the pandemic. There's a there's a indirect causal connection maybe the 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 despair of mass unemployment and poverty may have contributed to this um, but what is so so marvelous about these past couple of weeks especially since the uh, the uh, torture and death of George Floyd was uh, is how broad it is. Um, every state and many, many towns, towns are having demonstrations. This just erupted out of, out of, well, we know it wasn't out of nowhere because it's been brewing for decades, centuries. And suddenly now, um, this great diversity of of, of uh, white supporters, as well as many others, and different ages, and even political some some political breadth, uh, calling out for a reform of the criminal justice system. Uh, the criminal justice system, both police and prisons. This is an amazing thing. And might there be not a not a direct causation, but an a causal principle at work here? We're seeing a a a a, a, a great reorganizing of the most basic 
ideas about our own country, a shifting of um, tectonic plates on a national level. I think of uh, Carl Jung who once said, the earth is in tune with the destructive fury of mankind. This is something that we have wrought. And, and there's no need to call it good or bad. It's, it's change. It's opportunity. And how could, how could, how much longer could we as a people have escaped massive suffering given our heritage rooted in slavery and genocide and then even beyond that the international arms sales this always is, shakes me up is how long uh, we have been providing the world with arms sales what kind of karma are we sowing with that? And we continue to. All empires fall. And I've felt now for 30 years that we're witnessing the slow decline of the American empire. But maybe not. Uh, maybe now with this amazing shift, this, this balancing of, uh, of our attitudes about uh, minorities. Uh, and, and maybe we're seeing signs that as a country, as a people, we can self-correct again. That seems to be one of the... Uh, one of the traits that has saved us so far as a people is our, our ability to self-correct. This isn't just my idea, but I've also read others say the same thing. Maybe it's not too late. And we're also seeing what might be the demise of the current administration. Our president now is though as though he's a fly caught in a web and with a spider just very busily trussing him up can't find which way to go. His, his utter ineptitude is finally catching up to him in the most obvious way. It's always been there. But uh, I'm sure many of you have also reflected on the fact that one positive thing that may come out of this is out of this pandemic is that the to have this current administration it's 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 an aptitude 
and its destructiveness, its its uh, irresistible need to divide people, to have this exposed. This phrase, this very, very colorful, rich phrase from the story of the Buddha's enlightenment came to mind uh, uh, as I see uh, the current administration stumbling and stumbling and stumbling now and uh, his poll numbers dropping. Uh, this is a paragraph we I read every every night uh, during the ceremony of the Buddha's enlightenment. It's uh, part of the uh, kind of a um, an amalgam of different accounts of the Buddha's enlightenment uh, that we have edited uh, in little ways over the years. But here's the paragraph. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, refrain from making any connection with the current situation. This is, this is the uh, the temptation of the Buddha, where um, Mara, Mara is this, um, so the, the, the mythical um, kind of the Buddhist Satan, we don't use that word, but uh, uh, the evil one sometimes he's called. Uh, here's the phrase. Mara's war elephant, the murderous and blundering vehicle of ego's prideful power, came crashing to the ground like a heap of stones. And then, finally, um, just some other... Lesser, maybe not lesser, um, positive things that are emerging from this uh, disruption that we're seeing. Um, we're, we're we're finding just on, a, on in our own sangha a knitting together of the sangha. Uh, out-of-towners with locals through our Zoom sittings. This is, <laughs> this is just completely taking me by surprise, and I'm still marveling at how wonderful it is every morning at 7 o'clock to sit with both local people and out-of-town people. Okay, not in the same room, but it's maybe th- half or three-quarters as inspiring uh, to be able to glance at the screen and see 40, 50, 60 other people sitting together and, and, and really uh, exposing the, the limits of our distinguishing between local and out-of-town members. And, and I've said to many people that uh, this is something that will continue on and on. Even once uh, the 
we have the Zendos at Arnold Park and Chapin Mill open again and people sitting together. Even once that happens, why should we not continue these online sittings that that connect us with our out-of-town members? My concern is that uh, even the local members will stop coming. But, uh, well, be that as it might be, uh, we have a wonderful new um, web of Sangha that's more manifest, more obvious. And then, as we learned from uh, the the online session, the recent online session, which we never would have happened were it not for the pandemic, that uh, we're also discovering a new integration of Zen practice into the home. Yes, session at home, uh, morning sittings at home. Uh, it's something that, that we've talked about for forever, that we need to make our practice, make our, our, our home and our work, life, our practice. And now, uh, because of our confinement at home, we have to. You know, it's like so many things. We're not going to do it unless we have to. And now we have to. We have no choice. And many people have said to me how how marvelous it is to finally uh, to bring these two together. The the Zen Center at Chapin Mill and Arnold Park bring that together with the home practice. Bring together Sashin with daily practice. It's uh, who could have envisioned this four months ago. You know, when all is said and done, we don't know whether the so-called good that emerges from this pandemic uh, will outweigh the bad, the suffering. Um, we don't know. Um, but even even already, uh, if 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 we're seeing this as only in the uh, the darkest, most terrible terms, then we're missing it. We're not seeing the whole. We're missing the whole picture. And then who knows what else we may see come from this a year from now, much less 10, 20, 100 years from now, that we will be able to look back and see this evolutionary change that was initiated by the pandemic. There's this line from Affirming Faith in Mind. I'm trying to retrieve it. Uh, good and bad and right and wrong, once and for all, get rid of them. And then uh, these at base, these two are merely relative and both at source are emptiness. And emptiness is where this world of, of no-thingness, of not knowing, that's what every Zen practice, any particular Zen practice, uh, has the has the gift that, that has the power to do is to 
bring us out of our ideas of good and bad and right and wrong to this realm of wonderful darkness, not knowing. Our time is up. We'll stop and recite the four vows. Blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions I bow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure I bow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha I bow to attain. All beings without number I bow to liberate. Endless blind passions I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha I vow to attain. <laughs>